Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. So we are in the book of James, and I believe this is week five or six that we're in now at this point. And man, this book has been good for us, I think, as a church. Has it been good for you? Uh, It's been very practical. and, And one of the things I love about the book of James is he comes right to the believers, right? He's uh, kind of getting up in our business quite a bit, but we need that. And, and he's helping us to learn what it is to, to follow Christ. And you know, a few things we know about the book of James, it's probably the earliest book written in the New Testament. It was written to the very first followers of Jesus, the church in Jerusalem. And it was really written for the, for the exact, for the specific reason of encouraging Christ likeness in a difficult and a challenging culture how to live for Christ, how to have godly character in spite of challenging and difficult times. And so I think you would agree with me today that as relevant as it was for them now, I think it's just as relevant for us today as well. And so I wanna look specifically at James chapter four today. And where we're really gonna pull apart is is verses six through 10. But to give us good context and knowing uh, where James is coming from and why he's saying what he's saying, let's, let's start at the top in verse one. And there's a few verses we'll read together, but I want us to see who James is writing to and why he's saying what he's saying. So James chapter four, starting in verse one, this is what it says. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then he comes out in verse four, look at this. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he caused to dwell in us? But, I love this but here in scripture, but, He gives us more grace. Anybody thankful for the grace that we're given in Christ Jesus? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And then here he comes in verse seven, really giving us some clear instructions, some next steps to this predicament that the church finds themselves in. He says, so submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What a promise, isn't that incredible? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Once you turn to somebody and say, he will lift you up. All right, so let's just be honest. James is not taking it easy on us today. He's getting up in our business. He's coming right at us. And what does he do? He begins to talk directly to the church. And he says, listen, these are the things that are coming out of your lives. 
These are the things that we see among you. These are the things that I want to address and not because I want to discipline you, not because it's, 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 it's nice and I am happy to do it because a, a, a rebuke actually is a loving thing because it's not a rebuke to put down, but it's a rebuke to pull out and into the direction and the great plan that Christ has for your life. And so he begins to address the conduct and the character of the believers. He says, listen, you guys are quarreling, you're fighting, you're divided, you're angry, you're upset you're jealous of one another, you're coveting from one what one another has, you're stealing from one another, you have these evil desires that are influencing the actions of your life. Even when you pray, you're filled with wrong motives. And then finally, after kind of listing these things that James sees in the life of these followers of Jesus, he says, listen, here's the deal. It's time to make a choice of who you're going to be. You can either be friends with the world or you can be friends of God. You can either live God's way or you can live the world's way, but you can't do both at the same time. It's time to make a decision. In verse eight, he says, you are double-minded. What does that mean? It means you're trying to, to, to say you're one thing while living another thing. You cannot live up here and down here. He's saying there is a, there's a way of the world down here and there's a way of God up here. You can't be up and down at the same time. You're one or the other. And so he's drawing a contrast, pulling some things to the surface, and then showing them you have a choice to make in the way that you go. Now, when, when, before you are saved, before you become a follower of Jesus, the Bible says we are stuck and we are a slave to sin and the world. We are essentially stuck in earthly things. Outside of Jesus, we cannot get out. We cannot rise above. We can't even live in a godly way if we are not first saved. We are stuck in that place. But the Bible says when we receive faith or when we receive salvation by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are then set free and we are liberated from that bondage that held us down. Now we have the freedom to go up. The Bible says he gives us grace and strength to live a godly life. Now he doesn't force us to a godly lifestyle, but he set us free from the bondage that kept us down that we might rise up and live in a godly way if we choose to do it, but it is our choice. Paul was writing to, the, to, to his churches and to his followers in, in a similar way that James was. He said some of the same, look at this in Colossians chapter three, verse two. He's writing to the church and he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. I want you to see that word raised. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things where? Above. Why should we set our, things, our, our hearts on things above? Because that's where Christ is, look. It's where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Look at this, not earthly things. He's drawing a contrast. You need to choose to set your heart, set your mind, set your eyes, set your lifestyle in a godly way, in a Christ way. You've been raised with Christ, not on things below. So James, again, drawing this contrast, you can be friends with God or you can be friends with the world. You can live the world's way or you can live God's way, but you gotta make a choice. And if you choose to follow God, yes, I know it's not easy. Yes, I know it's countercultural. Yes, I know it kind of rages against some of your, na your natural inclinations. He will give you the grace to do it. Look at that in James chapter four, verse six. But he gives us more grace. 
This word grace speaks of the power of getting to what we truly desire on the inside. It's not giving us more forgiveness. We have all the forgiveness we're ever gonna get in Christ Jesus once we come to faith, but it's a grace that empowers us and helps us elevate to the place of getting to the true satisfaction that we desire in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. He says, I will give you more grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. I'm gonna ask a bit of a silly question because we're all gonna answer the same way, but who wants more grace in their life? Who wants to see more favor in their life? Well, there is a way to get it. And so just as we continue in James 4, if you're looking for a title for your notes that you're taking today, you can title this message, The Way Up. Come on, someone turn to somebody next to him and say, The Way Up. Come on, turn to the other person you didn't choose first and say, The Way Up. Can, let's just be honest, we are all looking for the way up. We're all desiring the way up. Up meaning it's, it's the place that we long to be, it's the place that we wanna be, it's the place that we hope to be someday. Just a few phrases that would maybe make sense to you. Anybody ever heard the phrase, I'm on the come up? Anybody ever heard that phrase before? It just means like, hey, I'm not gonna be where I am right now. I'm on the come up. I've got my eyes set on something. I'm headed somewhere. Drake famously said, we started from the bottom, but now we're here, right? We had the come up. Anybody ever heard the phrase glow up? Anybody know what a glow up is? People say, thank God for the glow up. It's when you're looking back at your like early teenage years when everything's changing and you're like, oh, thank God for the glow up. You know, like those awkward years didn't last forever. There's hope for you teenagers, don't worry. Thank God for the glow up. I, 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 I grew up, I, I came, how about this one? You guys remember that song, Moving On Up? I'm moving on up. We, we recently, my, my family has recently moved into a, a new house. And while we were looking for a new house, we, we finally found the house that we, that we were gonna move into. And uh, at the time where we were previously living, my 12 my year old daughter, and my seven year old daughter, they shared a room together. And uh, when we found out which house we were getting, it had more bedrooms in it. And so we went to our girls, we said, got good news for you in the new house. You guys are each gonna get your own room. And I knew that my 12 year old was gonna be excited about that, but my seven year old shocked me. She, I said, you're gonna have your own room. She said, I'm gonna have my own room. I said, yeah, she goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm moving on up, I'm moving on up. <laughs> She loved it. Why? Because she had, she had a satisfaction. There was something on the inside of her that she wanted that was beyond where she was currently. One of my favorite movies is a movie, Pursuit of Happiness. Anybody ever seen the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness? And very quickly, it's, it's about a guy, his name's Chris Gardner. He's played by Will Smith. And he's a guy who has a dream to be wealthy, but he finds himself in a very difficult position for his wife and his kid. And, and one day he's walking down the street and a guy pulls up in a fancy red sports car and he gets out and Chris Gardner's just looking at that car and he stops the guy and says, sir, can I ask you a question? The guy said, yeah. He said, what do you do and how do you do it? What was he saying? I need to know the way up. I don't wanna stay where I am. I have a desire. There's something inside of me. I want more. I want to feel satisfied. And that's what the way up is. It's a, it's a self-satisfaction. It's our eyes fixed on something that we don't currently have that we want to have. What's the way up? What's the way to be satisfied? You know, the Bible is full of dichotomies that we kind of have to help to have the Holy Spirit show us how, how to make this happen. You guys know, remember that scripture that says, if you desire to find your life or to keep your life, you will surely lose your life. But if you're willing to lose your life for the gospel, then you will find your life. Jesus, I'm gonna need help with that one. That one's a little strange. How about this one? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Doesn't make any sense to me, but I'll trust you, Jesus. Okay, 
How about this one? He who wants to exalt himself will be humbled, but he who is willing to be humble will be exalted. Or you could say, he who wants to be lifted high will be brought low. He who's willing to be brought low will be lifted high. So for the context and the sake of, of James chapter four, we can just say it like this. According to James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. Pride is the way down. Humility is the way up. This, this, this verse, James chapter four, verse six, it's really the third time in scripture that this, that this idea of God opposing the proud and giving grace and favor and lifting the humble, it's the third time it's mentioned in scripture, Proverbs, First Peter, and here in James. And so we know that this is a very big deal to the Lord, that we would understand this, this principle as believers. Pride will always lead you down. Humility will always lead you up. And according to James, if we're keeping it within context, when it says that God opposes the proud, this word pride literally speaks of somebody who sees themselves as the preeminent and most important person in their world. Somebody who considers themselves beyond anybody else in their world. And this will surely live to a low earthly way of living. But when it says that God, God uh, he shows favor to the humble, or in verse 10, when it says that those who are humble before the Lord will be lifted up, that word humility doesn't just speak of how we tr look at ourselves against other people. That word literally means someone who properly ranks themselves below the one who is honored. So it's kind of like a military term. It's recognizing that I'm not the one that's most important. I'm not the preeminent one. I'm not the one in charge. I'm not the one that's high and exalted. I am not the one that gets to call the shots. I recognize that I am properly ranked below the one who is honored. So if you are somebody who's able to properly view yourself in the perspective of who God is in your life, that's a humble heart. It's not someone who looks negatively upon themselves. It's not someone who sees themselves as, as, as less than. It's not someone who sees themselves in a, in, a, in a negative or a loathing manner. It's somebody who sees themselves as properly ranked underneath their leader in Jesus Christ. What does pride and humility have to do with all the dysfunction that we read about in the beginning of James chapter four? Well, what are all the issues that he says that they're having? He says, I see in your lives that there's quarrels, that there's wars, that there's fight, that there's theft, there's adultery, there's coveting, there's wrong motives, there's evil desires. What does pride and humility have to do with that? And let's look at it because these are things we would expect to see in the world, but to hear that these things are going on in believers, whew, we need to look at this. So let's make it real personal because James was not speaking in generalities. We love to speak in generalities, right? We come in, well, the church has got some real problems. Look around, just get on Facebook. Christians are all kinds of messed up. No, 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 let's not talk about the church. Let's not talk about Facebook. Let's not talk about out there. Let's talk about right here. Because James is coming right at you today. It's not me, guys, don't get mad at me. This is James, this is James. I want you to see how serious and how personal he's getting. He's breaking every communication rule in the book by coming right at you rather than making it a generality thing. This is what he said in verse, verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Are you feeling personally attacked yet? You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
Woo, he's coming right at us. You ever see those memes that's like, I feel personally offended by this meme because you know that it's speaking directly about you. This is kind of the moment. So I think it would be wise today, church. I think it would be wise today to, let's get self-reflective for a moment. I'm gonna ask you a few questions that come out of this, this book and I want you to consider. What is it that causes me to fight and quarrel with others? What is it? What is it that gives me into evil desires that rage up within me? What causes me to covet what I see someone else has in their life? What is it that, that causes me to be selfish? What is it that causes my prayers to have wrong motives behind their requests? As you reflect, I just wanna skip quickly and give you the answer. The answer is pride. The reason we rage and have these things come up on the inside of us, they are just symptoms of the deeper problem and that is a root of pride that comes in our life. What is pride? Pride is something that will lead you to an endless self-pursuit of satisfaction. We all have a desire to be satisfied. We all have things in life that we have this craving on the inside. We want to find the way up. We want to be in a different place than we currently are. We, we long for things that we don't currently have and pride will say, you deserve that thing. Go get that thing the way you want to get that thing. We, 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 we argue and we quarrel and we fight because we want to win because we want to be right, because we want to prove our point. We think that we will feel satisfied by engaging in that argument. We think that we're gonna feel satisfied by the elusive idea that someone will then change their mind and agree with us. The reason we covet is because we think that if we had what they had, we would feel satisfied. The reason adultery is committed is because we think that if we had that outside of our marriage, that it would make me feel satisfied. The reason we pray for things that we don't get and God says it's wrong motives is because we think that will satisfy us, satisfy us and pride will always lead you to pursue things in your own way to fill the need and to, to, to satisfy this, this need for something within your life. It's about taking matters into your own hand rather than trusting God to be that satisfaction in your life. And this pride will always lead to destruction. And James, because he loves the church, because he's being an instrument of God to reach the church, he wants to bring a rebuke saying, you'll never find satisfaction doing things the world's way. It's time to abandon the world's way. It's time to repent of the world's way. It's time to stop living down here and start living up here. Not because I'm mad at you, not because God is mad at you, because God wants you to have everything that he paid for when he gave his life on the cross and if you don't do it my way you'll never get the satisfaction that you truly long for in this life it's the cyclical endless pursuit you'll never stop fighting you'll never stop coveting you'll never stop going for things up if you're trying to satisfy yourself so come out of that way turn into God's way that you might find the satisfaction that your soul desires so deeply He's saying you're not, you're gonna, pride leads to destruction. Why? Because God opposes it. Pride, pride is gonna constantly say in your life, this is, I, I, I'm right and I need to prove it. This is how I feel, so I should be able to act on it. This is what I want, so I should be able to have it. And therein lies the issues that we constantly find rising up in our life. But James says, you do not have to live that way anymore. You can make a choice to choose a way of humility. And humility says, though I feel like I want this, God, you are in charge. 
I am properly ranked below you, the honored one. And regardless of what I feel, regardless of what I want, regardless of what I think, I'm gonna do it your way. So the answer to the conflict within us is humbly following Jesus Christ. The answer to the war, the temptations, the wrong motives, the the sin in our lives is coming humbly before Jesus and saying, I'm doing it your way, not my way. Really a great way to look at this word humility that talks about coming under the proper ranking of the honored one would be to say this, humility is coming under the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ coming under the lordship and the leadership. He's saying the only way up out of the patterns of destruction is to reject the way of pride and embrace a way of humility. And then he gives us these these steps on how to move out of this. And so we'll jump through this in the next few moments. He says this in verse seven. He says, if you wanna walk in this way, you want the way up and the way out. Number one, you need to submit to God. You need to submit to God. Other translations would say, humble yourself before God. And the reason it, some, some translations use submit, others use humble is because this word about, uh, for submitting is, is way beyond just simply obey God. It carries with it a much bigger, much more robust sense of understanding. Yes, it means obey God, but it really means repent before God, change direction before God, but not begrudgingly. It means turn, a, turn, come to the Lord, change direction because of the direction he's given you in life, but doing it with a contrite and a humble spirit. It's this realizing, it's this coming forward to the Lord saying, God, I realize right now, and I'm choosing to accept right now that I am not God, you are that I am not the one in charge, you are. That I don't make the rules, you do. And because you are ranked above me, because you are the honored one, I will yield, I will submit, I will follow your way. You know, when you choose to become a follower of Christ, and you'll hear us do this today, because you hear us do this every Sunday. At the end of the service, we give everybody an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ as their personal savior, that, that heaven might be your home. But when we do that, we follow instructions out of Romans chapter 10, which says this, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. When we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ is Lord, we are not just receiving Jesus as our savior, we're receiving Jesus as our leader saying, Christ, you now are in charge of my life, I am not. So when you correct me, when you rebuke me, when you show me another way, I will yield and I will follow. Jesus did not come to the earth to make converts, he came to the earth to make disciples and disciples follow in the way of their Messiah. And so when we open scripture, we're not just trying to get a scripture to to prop us up. No, we are opening scripture so that scripture might read us and point out the areas of our life that our life does not look like. Christ. This means that we understand that God gets to call the shots. He gets to tell us what we do. He gets to tell us how to talk. He gets to tell us how to relate to others. He gets to tell us how to respond to mean people. He gets to tell us how to raise our kids. He gets to tell us how to spend our money and etc. He is the Lord. It's his lordship and his leadership that we come under. See, pride will always take you the other way. Pride will say, this is my life. I'll do it my way. I'll do what I wanna do. It's my choice, my prerogative, my privilege, my body. Sorry, Christ. I'm in charge of myself, and this will surely lead to destruction. Humility says, God, you gave me this life, now I I give it back to you. And maybe even we borrow the words of Jesus Christ himself and say, not my will, but yours be done. 
the way up, the way to true satisfaction in life starts with submission to the Lord. Number two, if we're gonna find our way up into the satisfaction truly that we long for, we have to resist the devil. Verse seven continues, says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, it's important to understand, I think two things about, about the devil. Number one, the devil should not be underestimated. He should not be underestimated. There's so many, there's a huge movement out there that hell isn't real, the devil isn't real, it's just negative energy. No, 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 listen, we have a real enemy. We have a real adversary. The Bible says that he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you and I. And as much as God has a plan for your life, the devil has a plan for your life too. And if you're not aware of that, if you're not keen to that, if you're not aware that there is an enemy that wants to attack you, you'll find yourself ignorantly and unknowingly walking right into the traps of the enemy. He should not be underestimated. We should recognize that he's there. But I think number two, even more importantly, he should not be overestimated. He is not all powerful. He is not all knowing. His power is limited. His time is coming to an end. The Bible says that he's already a defeated enemy. He knows that his time is running out. And this is what James chapter four, verse six, verse seven wants you to know. You can resist him. No more, the devil made me do it. He can't make you do it. He can present you with an option. He can try to influence you. He can try to play on your weaknesses. He knows things about your past and he'll try to bring that thing up again, but he cannot make you do it. You have the power of Christ Jesus on the inside of you. And James 4 says, we must resist the devil. And then there is a promise attached. He says, if you resist the devil, he will, he will flee from you. He will do it, mark my words, believe the words of James that comes from the words of the Holy Spirit. If you resist, he will flee from you. Now you might have to resist a couple times. You might have to resist for a while. Some things don't go away quickly, but if you resist the devil through the power and the steadfastness of the Holy Spirit, he will, he will flee from you. And then he'll come back again at an opportune time. And then what do we do? we resist again. And I know that's a little bit discouraging because we see that in scripture. Look at Luke chapter four. The Bible says that Jesus went into the wilderness to fast and to pray. And in that time, the devil came to him and he tempted him. And Jesus resisted him. And we'll talk in a moment about how he did that, but he resisted him. And what does it say in Luke chapter four, verse 13? When the devil had finished all his tempting or when the devil got tired, he finally left him, but what? Until an opportune time. You know, that's when the devil comes into, you, into your life. That's when the enemy really seeks to pounce. Why, you, why do you wonder sometimes, man, I thought I beat this thing before and here we are again because the devil sees an opportune time. Which is why we have to walk humbly before the Lord and say, Lord, I will submit to you. And if you're saying don't go here, it's probably because there's an opportune time for the enemy to come. And if I reject that and I don't yield to that and I wanna walk in pride, I'll find myself in an opportune moment. And then I find myself a bit in over my head. But when we get to this moment, we can still resist the enemy. And what are we resisting, right? What are we resisting when the enemy comes after us? Are we resisting you know, lust, uh, sexual temptation, anger, greed? Yes, all of those things. But James is showing us early on what we're really resisting always is pride. Remember, pride is this idea that I'm the most important. What I want right now in this moment is preeminent and supreme, regardless of what Christ has said about me and the way I should go. And because I'm filled with pride in this moment, I choose my way, not God's way. 
We must resist pride. And the number one reason we must resist pride, I believe, is because God resists the proud. I want you to see that again in verse six and seven. It says, God opposes the proud. And then in verse seven, it says, we need to resist the devil. That is actually the exact same word. The way we are told to resist the devil is actually the way that God resists pride. James 4, 6 says he gives us more grace. He shows favor to the humble. That word favor, it literally means continuous grace. To the humble, continuous grace flows to them. Continuous joy, grace, uh, security, continuous power and Holy Spirit enablement flows to them. But yet in the same verse, it says God opposes the proud. Fix it like a faucet. When you are walking humbly, there's a faucet open over your life, life, continuous grace. Remember, it's not forgiveness. We have all the forgiveness we're ever gonna need. This is, this is divine empowerment for the day in which you are living right now. When we are living humbly, there's an open faucet of grace over your life. But the moment you allow pride to begin to lead your life, that faucet turns off and he opposes, not you, but the pride in you. We are not opposed by God, but the pride in us is opposed by God. We need to resist this, this leaning to see ourselves as the preeminent ones. He opposes the proud, but gives grace and favor to the humble. So how do we resist the devil? I wanna give you some, four quick practical things and then we're gonna bring this thing to a close. But the first way we, we resist the devil is by, again, this humble nature, this, this humble, proper understanding of coming under Christ and saying, Christ, I do not know the right way. You know the right way. I'm gonna follow your way. That's the first way. And if we can't start there, none of the other steps I give you will work. Because if we are not submitted humbly under the Lord and we're not willing to do it his way, we will constantly rage against this pride that comes against us. But if you're submitted to the Lord, the next thing, really, you need to know the word of God. That's how Jesus resisted the devil. When the devil came before him with temptation and opportunity, Jesus always responded with the word of God. And in order to have the word of God in your mouth, you gotta have the word of God in your heart. It's not enough just to Google something last minute when you're feeling temptation. You need to know the word of God so that when that opportune time comes and the enemy presents himself before you, you can immediately out of the wellspring of your soul respond with the word of God because the word of God in your mouth is just as powerful as the word of God in his mouth. It's the reason that David David said, I will, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David knew that he had to have the word of God hidden on the inside of him so that when the enemy creeped up in an unknown moment, he would not sin against his God because the word of God had already been deep down inside of him. We need to know the word of God and use the word of God to resist the enemy. But you know what we also need to do? We need to pray and ask God to reveal to us what we need to resist. I believe there are things in our lives that we are supposed to be resisting, but we are not resisting because we have not asked the Lord to show us what we should be resisting in our lives. And therefore we have opened doors into all kinds of things that are causing us to be quarrelsome and fighting and coveting and adulterous and wrong motives. If we would pray, David, again, David said, he said, search my heart, O God and reveal every wicked way within me. We need to pray and ask God, what do I need to resist? And then finally, I think very practically, we need to set up boundaries in our lives. We need to set up margin, set up safeguards. If we truly want to walk in purity, we should proactively set up pure, uh, pure boundaries before us. So James chapter four, you'll notice that there's almost like some marriage language used in James chapter four. He talks about adultery. He talks about coveting things that aren't yours. He talks about the jealousy of God. 
So what, what, what's he talking about? He was saying, what, what we're doing is sometimes the reason we, we find ourselves submitting and, and finding ourselves in these destructive patterns is because we haven't set up boundaries like you would in a marriage. If you're gonna do marriage right, once you get married, you set up boundaries. In other words, like I'm not gonna live like I'm single anymore. I'm gonna live like I'm married because if I am married and I live like I'm single, then there's no boundaries to prevent me from stepping into areas in opportune moments that I wouldn't have wanted to go. So I would encourage you as you pray and as God reveals to you things in your life that you need to be resisting, set up practical boundaries. And if, you're, and if, you're, and if you're, your bend is, is anger, your bend is resentment, your bend is lust, whatever it is, set up boundaries boundaries that would help to prevent the enemy from getting a foothold in your life. Amen. Is this helping anybody today? So if we want to find our way out and our way up into the satisfaction that Christ really has for us, we need to be submitted to God. Number two, we need to resist the devil. And then finally, number three, I'm going to invite the band to come up. We need to come near to God. We need to come near to him. Verse eight, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, the, the correlate to resist the devil actually is come near to God. Man, when I read this scripture, I am so thankful that James doesn't stop at verse seven. Because if he had stopped at resist the devil, that means that's our posture and that's where we stay. And we just stay in this constant face towards the devil, resisting him. But James continues, he says, no, 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 resist the devil and come near to God. Resist the devil, come near to God. I think about, think about my kids and when they're afraid to do something and I'm trying to encourage them to do it. Many times they don't just run right out and do it. They'll run out and get close to it and then they'll run right back to me. They'll run out and get close to it and they'll run right back into me. This needs to be the posture of believers, this, this humble walk before the Lord where you step out and you resist the thing that, that the devil seems to be trying to bring into your life. And you resist it and you resist it and you resist it and you, and you, feel, a re, you feel a release. You feel the devil leave and you run back to your father to rejuvenate, to be filled, to, 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 be, to be comforted. Resist and come near to God. And this coming near doesn't speak of conversion or salvation because he's already writing to saved people. And truly he's actually not just talking about coming near in terms of like, oh, I'm gonna, Get, come near to the Lord to grow my spiritual walk and to become closer to him. This, this idea of coming near to the Lord is actually this, this wholehearted act of repentance. It's this, it's this renouncing the, the, the way of the world that causes you to be opposed to the ways of God. It's running in, literally, this is the picture. It's running in fully, I love this, fully to the presence of God, fully. You know, I think we're guilty constantly of running in partially to the presence of God. We run into the presence of God, but there's parts of us that we know is still trapped in sin that we leave at the door because we don't wanna bring that part into the presence of God. Maybe because we feel like he doesn't want it. He won't accept it. He won't receive it. Maybe it's because we don't want it to change. But this idea of coming near to God means to fully enter in. Look at this, it means to be comfortable there, to be at home in his presence. And this is what I want everybody to get. You'll notice in the way that James writes us that purity is not a precondition that's required to enter into the presence of God. He lists all of these things that they have going on in their life. And he says, here's how you have to respond. Submit, resist, 
come near to God. He didn't say, wash your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people, and then come near to God. What did he say? He said, come near to God. Enter fully. Make your home here. Get comfortable in the presence of God, and he will come to you. And then wash your hands. Purify your hearts. It's the order that, 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 that he wrote it in. Why did he write it in that order? He's really, he's just pointing out that in, in this point that he's making, that drawing near to God isn't, isn't because I'm pure, it's because I have a desire to be pure. I'll say it like this, we don't need to be pure to come before God, we need to come before God to become pure. When he says, wash your hands sinners, he's not speaking to this sinful identity that they have, because they're, they're saved. He's actually using language that they would be familiar with, the language in which Jesus described to the people that he longed to come after to spend time with, to go into their house. James was saying, wash your hands, you sinners. You're the people that Jesus came for. You're the people that Jesus made his, that Jesus came around, that Jesus entered into their homes for the purpose of setting them free. Come on, he says, come before the Lord, enter in fully. You don't need to be pure to come before the Lord because Christ already went before us making a way that we could come in. I'll say it like this, sin cannot keep God from coming to you, but it certainly seeks to keep you from coming to God. Pride is such a mean thing because it, 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 it leans in and it causes us to go after things our own way and, and to pursue things in our, in, in the way that we wanna do things. And then we find ourselves tripped up in, in this dysfunction and the cyclical patterns of sin. And then it tells us God would not want you the way you are. So you need to stay outside his presence. Pride will say, no, 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 hide your sin from God. Make, it'll make you think that you need to deal with it and fix it before you can come before him. And by de facto, end up keeping you in your dysfunction. It keeps you in your pattern of sin. But when we come near to God, you can be sure that God comes near to you. And when God comes near to you, he begins to wash your hands. He begins to purify your hearts. He begins to take a double mind and bring it into a singular devotion to him. We must come near God. We must. And then finally, what does he say? He says, so humble yourself before the Lord, verse 10, and he will lift you up. We all wanna get up. We all, we, we all want to find the way up. We, we, want, we want out of where we are. We wanna feel the satisfaction. We, he will lift you to that place. It's the only way. So what is the way up? It's not pride. It's not self-promotion. It's not self-gratification. It's not doing things our own way. It's actually humbly coming before the Lordship and the leadership of Christ and living life His way. And no one ex exemplified humility like Jesus. Look at this in Philippians chapter two, verse five, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death. You could read this last scripture a little bit different. You could say, when he appeared in a human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died Steve's death on a cross. He died your death on a cross. He humbled himself. Not, not, not exalting himself to the position that he deserved, but taking on the form 
of you and I dying in our place. You could say he took the low way so that we could be exalted, so that we could take the highway. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. And I believe that through the power of scripture and a yielding to the Holy Spirit, that we can have a change and a transform, transformation take place in our hearts and in our lives. And so I would just ask you this question. If you're tired of trying to satisfy yourself through all of the endless pursuits of this life, you're tired of trying to find satisfaction in your arguments and in your frustration and in your anger, you're tired of trying to find satisfaction through pursuing all the different ways that life tries to throw at you, you're tired of, of trying to pursue this satisfaction in your own strength and you, you wanna find it in Christ. Can I tell you, it starts with Jesus. Jesus is the way up. Jesus is the way out of dysfunction. Jesus is the way out of sin. Jesus is the way out of the patterns of this world. Jesus is the way up. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I, I, listen, I've never made the decision to be a follower of Christ. I've never truly given my life to Jesus Christ. I've never confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I tell you, you'll never find your way out of earthly things until you first say yes to Jesus. He's the only way out. Like we, like we read in, in Colossians chapter three, we, are, we were stuck in earthly things. But when we give our life to Christ, we are raised and lifted out of that place. And so today it's very simple. If you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, so that you might be set free from an old way of living. I'm gonna ask you in just a moment on the count of three to lift your hand and then I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And it won't be the prayer, it won't be, it won't be lifting your hand necessarily that, that changes things, it'll be your confession of faith that will set you on a new course and a new path with a new Messiah and a new leader in your life. And so number one, you say, that's me. I know that I want to follow Jesus Christ. I'm tired of doing it on my own. Two, I'm ready to put my trust and my hope fully in him completely. Three, if that's you right now, I want you to lift your hand and say, that's me. Come on, amen. Say, that's me, amen, amen, amen. I wanna follow Christ, I see you, I see you. If that's you online right now, and you wanna make a decision to follow Christ, you can click the link that's right there in the chat below. But church family, come on, let's pray together and let's join those who are making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm lost without you. I cannot save myself. I believe that you already saved me. And now I yield to you. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again, and that you are leading me every day of my life. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, come on, can we celebrate those who made a decision to follow Jesus? Amazing, amazing. Now finally today, I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in you. Remember, James was not writing to unbelievers, he was writing to believers. And if we're all honest, we have things in our life that we want to be in our past, not in our future. And so would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? Three things. Maybe today there are areas of your life that you know that you have yet to yield and submit to the Lord. And you wanna make a commitment today that from this day forward, I'm gonna let Jesus direct this part of my life. If that's you, with nobody looking around, I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand real quick and put it back down. Say, that's me. I wanna make a decision to submit an area of my life that I, 
I want to follow Jesus in. Amen. Okay. Secondly, I want to pray for strength for those who feel like they are in a battle with the enemy. You feel like you are constantly resisting a particular thing in your life. And listen, resisting is part of following Jesus. But he will provide you the strength and the grace to do it as long as it takes till he flees. And you say, that's me. I'm resisting something and I need strength right now to hold me up. If that's you, lift your hand real quick and put it back down. Amen. Can I encourage you? I'm gonna pray for strength for you this morning. And I believe the Holy Spirit is gonna strengthen you and give you the endurance. And then finally, there's people here this morning that you need to come near to God. You're saved, but there's areas of your life that whether it's through guilt and shame, you've refused to to bring before the Lord because you thought he didn't want it. You thought he wouldn't accept it. And you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry. God says, bring it to me and he will initiate the purification of your heart. And he will begin cleaning your hands and and showing you the, the, the favor of God that you have that you might walk out that pure lifestyle. You say, that's me right now. I want to come fully before the Lord. There's shame, there's guilt in my life that I want to be, I want it to be stripped away. I want to walk away. Amen. All right, church family, I want to begin to pray and I want everybody praying right now in faith. Come on, let's begin to pray. Lord, I thank you that you have brought a word of loving correction and rebuke. God, we don't want to stay the way we've always been. We want to be who you've called us to be. And so right now, I pray for those who are submitting to you. God, I pray that you would encourage them. God, that you would show them every area of their life that is yet to be yielded. And God, and that you would help them to make that step of submission. Lord, I pray for strength for those who feel like they're in a battle. I pray for those who are resisting the enemy. And God, I pray that you would renew their strength. God, I pray that they would feel an endurance come on them. Lord, I pray that they would feel the wind of the Holy Spirit come on them. Lord, I pray that you would cause the Word of God to come alive in them. I think that the Word of God is powerful, and it is active, and it is going forward, and it is doing work on their behalf. Lord, I thank you that they will stand strong, that they will not yield, they will not bend, they will not break. You have empowered them, God, to resist against the enemy. And we say right now, devil, you must flee right now you must flee you must be on your way right now and now God we come before you all that we are all that we have we're not holding anything back we're not hiding anything from you we're not going to let shame and guilt rob us any longer we come fully into your presence we are comfortable in your presence we make our way home in your presence come on right now let's just begin to worship and let's trust God We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.